Hello, WSOGM family. My name is Carlette McKenzie, and today is Friday, December 31st. I had aimed to have this uploaded last week. However, there was a delay on when I got possession of the recording. Nonetheless, I spoke at my local church for Wednesday night prayer meeting on December 22nd, 2021. This episode is the audio from that recording. I'm currently working on all the podcast videos for each episode thus far, and I aim to have them uploaded to the various platforms very soon. Please note that Linktree has tried to censor me, and they deleted my account for no reason whatsoever, so please see my new Beacons link. Though a tremendous amount of work and time, I have thoroughly enjoyed working on this podcast thus far this year. I now have a better understanding of what is required to successfully produce this podcast in a timely manner. I will take a two-week hiatus going into this new year so that I can revamp this ministry. I am a Saturday Sabbath keeper number one, and on that basis, I have some ideas about the ministry going into this new year. Stay tuned because this upcoming year, 2022, I believe will be a year in which we will see some biblical things heavily advancing and or coming to pass. I would advise if you are not already to start to stock up on gold and silver, ammo, water, and emergency storable foods. Just a tip. Please pray for me and please join this ministry if the spirit moves you. Please share this podcast with friends, family, colleagues, etc. I love you all, but Jesus loves you more. May his peace be with you until we meet again. Have a happy new year. Welcome to the Saturday Seal of God Ministries, or SOGM, a podcast and community aiming to connect the times and events of today to Bible prophecy to make better sense of what is happening to us and around us. As we are all free-willed individuals, we aim to be a community of critical thinkers who do not blindly follow the world and its mainstream narrative, who do not blindly perpetuate and regurgitate what is quote popular but we aim to be individuals firm in biblically sound ideas, decisions, and convictions who will not allow the world or individuals to intimidate, bully, coerce, or sway us from sound logic, from what we believe to be possible or from what we believe to be the truth. In this space, we take the time and put in the work to research and to think independently with a biblical lens. So the title of my word for tonight is, is good becoming evil and evil becoming good. How we fight the shift. My name is Carlette McKenzie. Let me go ahead and issue my disclaimer. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying that I will be talking about some particularly sensitive items tonight. Uh, I'm not without sin myself and in this word, I'll, I'll be speaking to myself as well. And some of you, For some of you, I might be saying some of the things you've been thinking, but just haven't said it. Uh, These things that I will will be saying are my thoughts and words and are not that uh, representative or not that of Mount Sinai Church. My intention is not to hurt or to offend, but to shine light on some of the things that are going on in our modern world that are being promoted and quickly normalized in our society. I see more tiptoeing around these topics these days than not calling by name. And um, Jesus was a truth teller and in his words, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, John 8, 32. The truth, no matter, no matter how unfavorable or unpleasant, 
must be said because only then can a man be set free. I understand that we live in a censored, canceled, culture, cultured society, but I like, I, like Daniel, give little thought to that. I intend to use my First Amendment right to, to free speech while we still have it. I fear no man, and the truth must be highlighted. I apologize in advance if you are offended, but I do not apologize for what I'm about to say and the truth that I'm about to say. Now let me open with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for waking us all up this morning, Lord. Uh, please open our hearts and eyes so that we may see what is going on around us. Please order our steps and help us to stay grounded in your word and in your truth so that we may not be afraid to speak up and to proclaim the truth, no matter how unpopular. We ask for discernment as we move through this word today. And Lord, please be with me in a special way and help me to say everything in the intended way that you would have. Lord, we thank you and in your name we pray. Amen. Now, here's some opening questions. Did you know that there are over 100 genders? Did you know that? And if you say there are only two, as the Bible clearly tells us, then that's hate speech. You hate, you hate those of other genders, don't you? Did you know that a baby is not alive until it is born? Or in other words, a baby does not have life until it is born. Even though the Bible clearly speaks about how God forms us in our mother's womb, if you think that women should not have the right over their bodies to murder, then that's hate speech. You're anti-woman's bodily rights and freedoms. Did you know that white people are naturally inherently evil? They're also naturally white supremacists. Did you know that? And they are oppressors. They're all oppressors. Did you know that black children are just naturally and fundamentally oppressed by the white evil oppressor and that black people are to just be victims their entire lives? Even though to suggest that a child could be inherently evil or superior at birth would mean that they would have been formed by the only life giver, who is God, to be evil from the start. Um, it's not my understanding that God is capable of such an atrocity, nor would he want to, as that would void the choice of free will. I do not believe God would make a race of people naturally victims or naturally oppressors. But you know, if you don't think that all we white people are bad and that all black people are victims, then you're just trying to downplay, uh, downplay the racism and that all black people face every single day. And that's hate speech. Now, I chose those two topics to highlight because they're in the forefront today. And they, to me, are nonsense and lunacy because they are not biblically based and they are not aligned with the teachings and suggestions of the Bible. Yet they're being promoted heavily in our modern society. To the last one, it seems like there's a real campaign to convince me that I'm a victim and that I should hate all white people because they are evil oppressors. Of course, conveniently ignoring the long history of genocides against, uh, genocides between black people and other black people. Just, just forgetting all of that. And I'm not trying to sit here and say that racism is not a real thing or does not happen genuinely from time to time. However, we must be aware of it and not allow it to divide us. The devil likes to use a tactic called divide and conquer. If he can get us Christians and even non-Christians to be divided and hostile towards each other, other over our race, then he has succeeded in distracting us from the covert things that he is doing behind the scenes. He, is also, he can also foster an environment where we might have hate in our hearts or to have our eyes fixated upon the perceived earthly enemy, i.e. the white man, while, being, while we are totally oblivious to what he is actually covertly doing. 
while we're looking left, he's doing things to the right. He's also fostered an environment where the best work might not be completed because it is understood for the most part that a, a united people are a people who win. And so let me go on. The Bible story that I have chosen for today's word is the story of Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. These stories I'll quickly, these stories I'll quickly go over, demonstrate three things, the, uh, that they were powerful, godly resistance to evil, godly non-compliance and powerful unwavering faith in God to the contrary of the law of men. In the book of Daniel, it is told to us that third year reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem. In other words, he raided and destroyed Jerusalem. He ordered some of the Hebrew boys uh, to be captured who, were, who fit the criteria of being handsome, intelligent, well-informed, and quick to learn. The four boys who were just mentioned were, were likely just teenagers who were completely firm and unwavering in their beliefs from the beginning. So the king set up a number of items and sought to psychologically manipulate the boys, perhaps to train them and mold them to his liking at a young age so they could grow up to be strong and obedient Babylonian men. The king initially changed the boys' names. This was to psychologically program them to let go of their Hebrew background and to condition them to taking a new Babylonian identity. These, th their names were changed to these. The king initially also tried to change the boys' diet. This was again to psychologically pro program them to let, to let go of their Hebrew and God-ordained foods and to con condition them to a new Babylonian lifestyle. The Babylonian diet consisted of the king's chosen foods as well as alcohol. Now Daniel refused to defile himself and he requested that he and his friends be served vegetables and water. Initially, the chief official was hesitant, saying that if Daniel and his friends were for any reason to be looking any skinnier or unhealthy compared to the other boys their age, the king would have the chief's head. So Daniel went on to the guard who was assigned to look over him and his friends. Daniel said to test a wholesome diet for 10 days, just 10 days. And lo and behold, after the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better than all the other boys who were their age, who ate the royal food. Now we have three years of indoctrination. The king ordered that the boys would spend three years of schooling, which we could also call indoctrination or pro mind programming and or brainwashing. Note, there were plenty of other boys who were with these four. They were not the only ones captured. Yet it seems like it was only these four who, who did not succumb to the new Babylonian brain brainwashing. God gave these men these four men knowledge and understanding of all types of learning and literature. Also, as we're aware, Daniel had the God-ordained gift of interpreting dreams and visions. After the three years, the king talked with all of the men now, then now men, the king found that none of the other men could compare with Daniel and his three friends. So the king brought the four men in to be among the royal servants. Now, as we're probably all familiar with this story, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered that all of the people would bow and worship a golden statue made in his image upon the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of beautiful music. Whoever did not comply, the punishment was to be cast in a fiery furnace. Now note, 
I found it interesting how Daniel was not mentioned or present, it seems, during the story. I was looking online and there seems to be speculation about where he might have been. And this was, of course, after the first great uh, dream interpretation. And so after that, he was favored by the king. And so his rank was also above the other three. So perhaps he might have been off site in another land doing executive work, things like that. It seems to me that if he were present, though, it would have been noted and he would have surely not complied and he would have been with the three. But anyways, the three Hebrew men who refused to worship the golden image, the king taunts the men by saying, and who is this God who will deliver you from my hands? The three answered to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Wow. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hands, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Boom, point blank. As we know, the three are then thrown into the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar was infuriated that his scare tactics were proving to be unsuccessful. You know, this reminds me of another modern leader who recently said that his patience was wearing thin with a certain group of people. Anyways, um, the king ordered that the fire be seven times hotter. It was so hot that even the men that put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there were consumed by the flame and they perished. The three were bound together by their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and other garments, and they were cast into the flames. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was ast astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered to the king, true, O king. Look, he, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to deliver his servants who trusted him. And they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. That's Daniel 3, 28. The king then made a decree in the favor of, Dan, uh, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. Now the takeaways from this story is they did not blindly follow orders and information given to them, but they gave thought and, co and compared what was instructed to their religious beliefs. They were strong enough to not comply with anything that went against their religious beliefs. They were willing to die for their beliefs and they remained faithful in God the entire time. Now, we're gonna fast forward some, few chapters in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, had, had passed away. The Babylonian kingdom was ultimately led by his grandson, Belshazzar. Babylon experienced a new normal under different lax, unstructured leadership. You know, that sounds a bit familiar with our modern lives, the new normal. Anyways, unlike his grandfather, who was concerned with expanding Babylon's power, Belshazzar was concerned with leisure. King Belshazzar liked to feast and drink wine. One night, God sent a supernatural, oh crap, a supernatural sign via a bodiless hand writing on the wall, a warning. Daniel, who was at this time old and retired, was instructed to interpret the strange language. That same night, King Belshazzar was slain and the kingdom divided into the Medes and the Persians, which was also prophesied previously. Darius, the Mede received the kingdom of Babylon. Thank you. Now fast forwarding 
again, few chapters. Daniel was one of the three governors in the new kingdom. And Daniel distinguished himself above the other governors and satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him, in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. The governors and satraps quickly became overcome by evil jealousy, and they sought to find some charge against Daniel. They plotted together, lied, and they ended up getting the king to agree to a decree which would mandate worship only to King Darius over the subsequent 30, day, 30 days. The punishment was to be thrown in a den full of lions. King Darius signed a decree and mandate into written law for the 30 days. Now, in my opinion, Daniel had the best attitude and response. In slang, it was, it, it was OG status. He literally paid it zero mind whatsoever and promptly continued on with his life. That is what we call bold, godly defiance. Daniel's, Daniel's response. Now, when Daniel knew that the writings were signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows wide open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. The men then assembled and found Daniel, of course, praying to his God, Yahweh. They then scurried back to tattletale on tattletale to the king, right? The king was then displeased with himself as he realized he was bamboozled. He was essentially bamboozled. He was set up and fooled because since he had favor with Daniel, he, he saw the conspiracy against him. It was the Mede and Persian law that no decree or mandate could be changed after enacted in law. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God, whom you continue, who you serve continually, will deliver you. And truer words were never spoken. Now, that night was a sleepless, a sleepless night for the king and he fasted uh, throughout the night. And in the morning he hastened, he ran to the den. Daniel's God, Yahweh, shut the lion's mouth. The lion, I mean, the king was overjoyed for him and promptly ordered for Daniel to be taken out. The men who accused Daniel, as well as their children and their wives, were cast into the den and promptly devoured. Darius sets a decree that in his kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now these four God-fearing men, would they go along with the modern lunacies in our society or would they stand up and stand out? Now the question, going back to the first question, is good becoming evil and evil, evil becoming good? You probably already know the answer to this question. Uh, it's a simple yes or no question, but let's let's continue on and do some looking. So let's look at a few items that are currently under attack. Marriage between men and women, the nuclear family, children, science and natural law, the faith and trust in the Bible is under attack, the Christian individual is under attack, and the image and perception of God is under attack. And this is just to name a few. We must stand on God's word stand up and stand out and resist these attacks. If not resisted, a new world order could emerge on our watch. A world even more sinful and wicked than, than even now. A world in the order of Satan and not that of God. 
Now here's some verses to keep in mind. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God makes it very clear that if there's any confusion, there's any confusion, that is of the devil, because God is not the author of confusion. Jesus says, these are his words, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So the devil here is not, the devil is not capable of telling the truth because there is none whatsoever in him. He is also the master of mixing truth with error. We must be aware because if a glass is two parts water and one part poison, that glass of water is gonna kill you. So the great devil, I mean, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. This is clearly stating that Satan deceives the world, point blank. But we must ask ourselves, how is he doing this? How might he be doing this in our modern lives? Because surely history tells us that he's doing something. And the last one, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We should be skeptical of anything that the world is telling us. We should closely examine everything that is paraded and popular as paraded as the popular and accepted as fact or truth. He aims to attack the marriage between men and women because it is good. He aims to destroy what God has created. In Ephesians 5, God tells us that our marriage is a picture of the gospel. How profound. He wants to replace with ungodly unions. The normalized view of marriage is a trap to be avoided. I've heard many people say, you know, the fun is over when you get married. Oh, yeah, have, have fun while you can when you're single. It's not, it's a trap, yada, yada. He, he wants those types of things in people's minds, as well as the normalization of casual promiscuity. He's attacking the nuclear family. He attacks because it is good. He aims to attack what God has created. In Colossians 3, 18, 21, God lays out his idea for the family, which is a husband who is a natural man, a wife who is a natural woman, and children who are the offspring. The family is first is the first place children will usually see God, and it's easier to raise children to be disciples of the Lord in a God-ordained structured home versus a broken one. He wants to replace this with ungodly promotions of same-sex couples raising children. You know what? I don't know if y'all noticed, but they get all the news stories. They make the front page. They get all the video deals and everything. You know, what's that about? Why, why isn't, you know, natural nuclear type families promoted in that same manner? You know, what's, what's this out with the old and in with the new type of mentality? You know, that's not by accident. That's for a reason. There are also things via the government actions that are replacing terms as mother with birthing, birthing person. And to, to be inclusive, that's to be inclusive of men, men who can give birth, right? And if you say that men cannot have babies, then that's discrimination and hate speech, okay? Keep that in mind. He's attacking the children because God loves the little children. He aims to destroy what God has created. Satan is a murderer and will tempt women to murder when he can. He also tries to set up an environment where making that choice is easy and encouraged. 
Satan knows that the children are the future, so he tries to corrupt them while they are young. Because if he's able to do that, then that will save him a lot of time and will make things very easy for him as that child grows up into adulthood. He'll save himself a lot of work if he corrupts them while they're young. There's also desensitizing going on in our society. What we call woke doctrines are being promoted and taught in school, such as, like I said earlier, 100 plus genders, you know? Uh, all these million different gender neutral pronouns, gender neutral, you know? The notion that you can be what you feel. If you, if you feel this way today, you can be that. Or if you feel a different way next week, you can be that too. You just tell us how you want to feel or how you want to be called, that type of mentality. Even if it is in opposition of God's law, God's design, science, and the laws of nature. There's also things that's drag queen story time, which are, are being more and more frequent in schools and in libraries. And this is all to program our children's minds at an early age to the norms and truths of this world. Here we have an example of some woke propaganda from a California school, giving the students to indoctrinate them via the Genders and Sexualities Alliance or GSA clubs, which, are, which hold meetings and are frequently found in middle and high schools, public middle and high schools. Now, let me clarify. I'm not just sitting here honing in on the issue of, of gender specifically as to say it's worse than any other issue. But the ramifications of this particular attack by the devil could have enormous, and I say enormous impacts in our future society for generations across many different layers. This year is very dangerous. This is very dangerous. Satan attacks science and natural law. He attacks because the devil hates them because they are uncontrollable bounds that limit him. He aims to destroy again what God has created. He does this by confusing the world with certain fabricated narratives of science. What would it gain him to be truthful regarding science, which is the, which is the study of things that God has created? He aims to manipulate the natural things in this world for evil. Satan is a liar and the father of them. He seeks to change the laws in, in, in science. He seeks to change the laws of science and in nature. We should evaluate the accepted truths of this world when it comes to science. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, which means that he cooks up these crazy lies all within himself. They come from within his heart and mind. The world will rarely ever tell us the truth, especially from a high level. Due to the distractions by the devil, men do not usually do their own due diligence, and that is how the devil deceives the world. He wants to replace these things, uh, science, proper science and nature, with ungodly and unbiblical, uh, ungodly and unbiblical pseudoscience. Pseudoscience is a theory, methodology, practice that is considered to be without scientific foundation, false or pretended science. An example of this would be the bang, Big Bang Theory, which aims to replace the creation that clearly occurred in the beginning. Man and his technology also thinks that they can surgically change someone's gender, which God has bestowed. He attacks faith and trust in the Bible. He attacks these because the Bible is the greatest modern source of truth. The devil cannot stand the truth. The truth reveals his ways to men and the truth 
reveals God and Jesus's unconditional love. The Bible is the most profound, mind-blowing piece of literature ever in existence. It was written over thousands of years by men of all different backgrounds. Millions of people have fought and died for the privilege to open this book freely. The devil, he also attacks mainly by casting seeds of doubt in people's minds about the word. The devil hates the truth again. Jesus says that the truth is the only thing that can set one free and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The devil doesn't want us free. He wants us manipulated. He wants us sinful. He wants us in the dark and he wants us deceived and controlled. The devil uses individuals to cast doubt on God's word to plant seeds of doubt in the minds of the people. The devil attacks the Christian individual. He attacks because he hates that we have even an ounce of faith and trust in Jesus. He seeks to distract us with things that are irrelevant to the kingdom, such as our job, the pursuit of worldly education, our races slash ethnicities, political affiliations, our favorite TV shows, sports games, etc. He sways. He sways us to twist our priorities to be earthly and not kingdom minded. We have no problem going to sleep at a reasonable time to wake up early for work, but we give no thought to waking up even 10 minutes earlier for prayer or worship in the morning. We have no problem debating and or defending our favorite political party, but when it comes time to give our take on biblical items and proclaim boldly the truths, we are sometimes quiet and we say, you know, that's the pastor and the church's job. That's not my job. It's easier for us to watch an hour and a half movie. It's easy for us to watch an hour and a half movie about some fictional fictional nonsense when we can't spend an hour watching a sermon or watching accurate biblical programming. He sways us to twist our priorities to be earthly and not kingdom minded. And he, this is the last one, he also Sway, he attacks the image and perception of God. He attacks these because he seeks to twist God's love and God's law and make him appear as a tyrant. He aims to make God seem like someone who deserves praise just because. And if not, he will damn you to hell for not worshiping him. We understand that God wants us to take time to study the Bible and to study his word so that we can see for ourselves the numerous examples of him not being a tyrant at all. When one studies and understands that he is a God of law and order, and the plan of salvation was put into place before the world was even created, then one can truly see how really, since before even be the beginning of time, he has loved each one of us dearly. He loves us so much that he gives us free will to choose whom we will serve. And that is the exact opposite of a tyrant. As one studies and understands, to the best of our human comprehension, of course, just how magnificent and spectacular he is, then something changes in that individual's heart to where they have a desire to obey his word and serve him and serve such an amazing God. So keeping the law goes from a view of compulsory meaning required to the view of privilege and gratitude to please God by obeying his word. It's a stark difference. 
He also wants to make it seem like God will make an exception for you in lieu of obeying his laws. In other words, that God's law somehow doesn't apply to you specifically. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I would de declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, that's Matthew 7, 21 through 23. So, is good becoming evil and evil becoming good? Absolutely. And at an exceedingly rapid rate. I'm less than 30 years old and I notice clear as day how rapidly this world is accelerating from the world I even remember, remember as a child to now. Now, how do we fight against this shift? It's actually very simple, really. We need to read the Bible for ourselves. We cannot rely on any pastor to give us the word. We must study it really and truly for ourselves through discernment. God will reveal specific and personal things to our hearts and minds through discernment. Though we, things we might not receive from simply attending church each week, or things we might not receive from just reading a devotion, which is again, someone else's words or thoughts, or even by doing nothing else besides just the weekly church. Number two, we need to stand up and speak the truth. Nothing makes the devil tremble more than the truth being widely and openly proclaimed and spoken. With love, point those going astray to verses in the Bible to back up your loving correction. It is not sufficient in these days to just say the Bible says you should, and should, should or shouldn't do this and the Bible says you should or shouldn't do that. We need to be able to yeah, we need to be able to cite specific passages to back those claims up. The problem with this is it seems that majority of the people who profess to be Christians do not actually consistently study the word. So they do not know what is really in the Bible and what isn't. Nor do they know where the passage nor do they know the passages by heart as to readily recite them at the needed time. Therefore, there is no way that they can can lovingly and firmly correct according to his word, for they are unfamiliar with his word. Number three, we need to make sure not to embarrass and judge, but to lovingly correct. The object is not to judge because we have neither a heaven or hell to put anyone into. But according to Ezekiel, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. That is Ezekiel 33, 6. That's saying that if we know the truth and do not speak or see evil coming towards someone and do not speak, God will hold us accountable for their blood. The last one is number four. We need to stand out and fear not the devil nor any man. The battle is not ours, it's the Lord's. When we do our part, the Holy Spirit will then take over. Our job is to be good Christian stewards, study his word boldly, to speak the truth, to seek Jesus for strength, 
and to have faith and trust in Yahweh to protect us. Verse, the wonderful verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. And as I close with this last, last slide, it is my prayer that you have been blessed or touched by something in this word that gets you to think. Now Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of men is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world is invisible, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to their uncleanness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among them themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. Thank you very much. I love you all. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Saturday Seal of God Ministries podcast. We look forward to your prayers, support, and participation. If you do nothing else, please share this link and podcast with others so that the information can spread. Please email us at ssogministries at tuda.io for any inquiries, comments, concerns, criticisms, and or suggestions. Please note that in this podcast description, you will find a link to the document with all sources cited in this podcast episode. Please note that there is not yet a podcast video available for this episode, but we are working on them. Lastly, again please share with loved ones, friends, church family, anyone. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again.